Bardeen. I'm here with John Gabrielli. Um, John is a neuroscientist at MIT who coincidentally runs the Gabrielli Labs um, and we're fortunate enough to have this opportunity to have a sit down with him. So thank you so much for being here. It means a lot. My pleasure. <laughs> um, today we're recording at MIT um, where John is the director of the Imaging Center. He's a world-renowned neuroscientist. Speaking of which, what are your main goals for your research? Our biggest goals are to understand uh, how the human brain supports the human mind, understand its diversity. Uh, we have all kinds of different experiences, all kinds of different genes with which we're born, different, um, and, and, and use that knowledge to somehow uh, make life better for, for people. Yeah, that's great. Um, could you break down for us what a neuroscientist means and why you became one? Yeah. Neuroscience involves many levels of analysis. So some of my colleagues look at single neurons. Uh, uh, you know, the level of, that I work at, I work on, on humans. Uh, so we're always looking at big patches of the brain and simply trying to understand with one method or another how different parts of the brain empower the human mind and variations in empowerment. Everybody's better or worse at one thing or another. Yeah. Uh, and that diversity of, uh, of patterns of strength and, and effort and so on, we'd like to understand how that plays out from the brain. Yeah. Um, clearly, you're very smart. Um, do you think you have a different perspective of uh, what being dyslexic actually means and looks like in the brain? Well, I think with the whole field has learned a lot. It wasn't until about 30 years ago we had no idea. We knew that reading was more difficult some children than the other, which is basically what we mean by dyslexia more than anything else. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until we had brain imaging and, and, uh, and critically the involvement of individuals with dyslexia, we wouldn't know anything about uh, brain variation in regards to reading if we didn't have research volunteers who yeah. gave their time and effort. And so with them as partners, with parents, with children, uh, you know, we've learned a considerable bit about brain differences that make reading either easier or more difficult. Yeah. Um, and just as a question to do with that, uh, do you, why is dyslexia genetic? And because um, isn't it half time genetic and then the other half it's, because it can be passed down from your parents, but isn't it also something to do with uh, the genes? So we understand, I mean, reading involves <clears throat> two things. There's a, whether it comes easy or hard, which we think is based on, on genetics. And so it tends to run in families. Um, uh, and, and we know that from things like twin studies, that if one identical twin struggles to read, the other one is likely to also. So we have a pretty good estimate for that. We, the genes that have been identified specifically that go with reading uh, difficulty, uh, they, had they didn't have pretty small effects. So any one gene that's advantageous or disadvantageous all by itself only accounts for a small part of the story. So we don't understand in a full way that genetic uh, variation that makes reading more difficult or easy. Um, and certainly the other factor in the story is the experience a person has, yeah. uh, the quality of education, how supportive a school is, how parents chip in a lot. For so sure. it's a combination of, um, of, of, of uh, genetic predispositions to find something easy or difficult and the environment and, and, and educational quality one is, is afforded. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the most value, valuable thing you've learned from all this research? 
Well, I've been really struck by the way in which our, our brains are uh, simultaneously similar across humanity and then diverse from person to person. So when we think about our brains, we, we all see with the back of our brain in the occipital cortex. We all hear from the temporal lobe near our ears. Yeah. That's pretty almost universal across all humans. And then comes a tremendous diversity that goes with something with genetic variation, something with experiences, cultures one grows up with, personality differences, yeah. uh, sexual identities. All these things play out. And you know, for a neuroscientist, the mind is what the brain does. And so we see all these different strands of individuality. All of us are full of complexity this way and understand that they spring in part from our brains. Now, that doesn't mean we're born that way, because yeah. experience matters a lot. Choices we make matter a lot. And, but partly they do that through how they influence how our brain grows and develops. Um, obviously, experience has, as you said, a lot to do with identity. Do you think it has a huge um, impact on dyslexia as itself, individual to a person? We think that uh, the propensity for dyslexia might be somewhat similar across many people, but everything else is tremendously different from one person to another. Uh, the other strengths they have, the other uh, opportunities they have. So uh, uh, it, it, that, you know, the, when you think about a person as a whole, uh, whether they struggle to read or not can be an important thing in their lives, but it's only one facet of many aspects of a person. And so, so we want to balance those two things out, which is to understand the reading difficulty enough to be helpful, but to appreciate all the other talents uh, that a person can have, all the other ways that they can express themselves and achieve great things. And so that balance of, of being supportive for something that needs uh, support, but also being appreciative of all the other amazing talents that people have. For sure. Um, we know dyslexia makes it harder to read, but what are some of the gifts that come with it? Well, that probably varies a lot from person to person. I mean, just as like everything does. Yeah, uh, yes. uh, but you know, certainly there's an idea thought that uh, you know, when one thing is not easy, it makes you think about developing other ways to, to view the world. And so we think that uh, although obviously dyslexia makes reading hard, uh, one can imagine that promotes other ways of, of problem solving and thinking and conceptualizing that makes our society richer to have this diversity of ways to understand uh, how to solve problems in the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, what studies are you working on and what are you hoping to learn? One of the things we're really interested in is early identification of children who are at high risk for reading struggles and then early interventions. Uh, and the reason we're interested in that is that um, uh, we don't want children to discover reading is difficult by, by failure. You know, because very often the way the school systems work, not all of them, but very often is you wait for failure. You wait until a child is behind on reading. Uh, and one of the greatest concerns we have about that is whether that can discourage a child from his or her view of themselves. Because yeah. reading is their first great experience in school and uh, somebody has a, a brain difference that makes reading challenging, they can think, ooh, maybe learning is not for me, or maybe you know, I'm not somehow talented in some way because, it, because it's something they have to confront. And so we would much rather identify children who are at risk, and we're getting better and better at doing that, and then you know, support uh, them very early so they never really, they don't discover by failure they're helped. I mean, I, I think of myself in second grade. Uh, I, uh, you know, couldn't see the chalkboard very well, and it turned out I needed glasses. And uh, uh, you know, so you, you just, you know, and I could have thought, well, I don't understand what's going on, or you know, the, the teacher could have wondered why isn't he learning what he's supposed to be learning. And it turns out I needed glasses. And kind of comparative to that, it's, it's more of a challenge to learn to read than it is to wear glasses.
classes. But yeah. kind of similarly, if we could, uh, uh, before a child ever really figures out that you know something is really hard, if we could identify that risk and help early, we're hoping we could just make the child much more confident, but both a better reader, but also more confident about her abilities to, to succeed. Yeah. Um, I know some people say that, like I'll be talking to them, they're like, yeah, I had dyslexia, but I, I don't have it anymore. So um, understanding that it's a genetic thing is obviously what it is. It's something in your brain. It's not something that you can just get rid of, but uh, would you agree that there is ways to correctly teach for individuals to do with dyslexia that can make it easier for their challenges to be overcome? Individuals with dyslexia can make tremendous progress in reading. And, uh, and that is helpful to them, I think, because reading is just helpful for many other endeavors in life. It's just a yeah. practical thing. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so we, we especially know how to help young children become better at individual word reading, the first steps in learning to read. That there's a lot of evidence we know what to do. And then after that, it becomes much more diverse. Uh, uh, most individuals with dyslexia say that reading is all a lifelong challenge a bit. You know, yeah. it's never easy. Of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, so, but uh, individuals discover all kinds of ways to use their other talents to get them, you know, through material they want to get through, uh, to empower them to do what they want to do. Uh, you know, um, amongst others, and technology might be very exciting that way. Things like audiobooks. Yeah. That could be a huge way uh, that, that we could, uh, children and, and adults can, you know, address learning about things that might be slow for them for reading. I mean, for many people with dyslexia, the biggest challenge over time is not getting single words correctly with enough support. But, yeah. but uh, reading is just laborious, you know, to get through a page, yeah. a, par a book. Uh, is, is just extra effort and, and often that persists uh, for, for many years and, but again people find strategies towards that in various ways and, 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 and are amazingly successful uh, including in lines of work that involve a, a lot of reading yeah. so, <laughs> it, so but, but it's, it's almost always when you talk to a person who is uh, you know well documented as having dyslexia reading is, is always a bit of a challenge e even when they're doing amazing things uh, with, with text yeah, yeah definitely uh, with all your studies and all the research that you've done over the years, do you think that you've found a good way? Well, what's your ideal way of teaching a dyslexic? If you had a second grader in front of you that's like, all right, I don't know how to learn. What strategies and approaches would you use to teach? I don't want to say a typical dyslexic because that's so like not true because all dyslexia is different. But how would you get to know them personally and how they learn and how do you think you would teach them? So we have to balance two things in thinking about teaching in this way, uh, uh, which is true really of all students. On the one hand, uh, we do look for some principles of similarity because if every child is so unique, then a teacher wouldn't know what to do, right? Yeah. So, so we look for some similarities. And we know that many children, not all, but many children who struggle to read, for example, early on, they have challenges in what people call phonological awareness of linking sound to print. And there, for that specific uh, reason why reading might be difficult, uh, there's really good evidence uh, that programs that focus or educational curricula that focus on that aspect of linking sound and print is very helpful uh, to beginning readers. So um, at the same time, we're very interested in uh, diversity of response to any particular kind of instruction because we know children are so, or adults are so different from one another. So uh, we, we ran a small summer school here where we uh, uh, gave uh, many children an opportunity who were behind in reading to get uh, help from Linda Mood Bell, which is a well-known provider of, of reading instruction. And about half the children really benefited from that, and about half not so much. 
And so we're very interested in that question because that gets at the issue of diversity among students with reading difficulties or, yeah. you know, um, to understand uh, can we figure out, in a, you know, in the end, on a child-by-child -child basis, what is the right match between a child's needs and the kind of educational support that really works for them. Were you teaching the same way to all the children? Is that why half of them succeeded and half of them? All the children received very similar instruction. Got it. Uh, and this is not unique to, uh, to dyslexia. For, for many things in life, you know, the very program or something that's, I mean, even our preferences of chocolate or vanilla ice cream or whatever, <laughs> you know, the very thing that's very helpful for one person is not as helpful for another. And the more we could understand that, the more we're hoping that each person could be uh, drawn, you know, assigned to or given the kind of support that really matches their needs. Yeah. Um, I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me and getting the chance to talk. Um, and thank you all. Until next time. Thank you. That was great. That was so good. All right. No, was, your questions <laughs> are <good>. excellent. <laughs> Congrats. Your answers were amazing. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I, I think it's such a great thing you're doing for, for parents too, but especially children. Right? They, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm really looking yeah. for, you know, because I feel like I just, the way that the kids learn, you know, it's different for everyone and yeah. the experiences that they've had and having your parents tell you something is like different than hearing it and just hearing other people's perspectives on it, I think it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's so much, I mean, for all of us at all ages, but you know, grown-ups talk one way or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> and, and kids talk differently to each other and with each other and about each other, right? It's just natural. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I think it's Thank really... Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you.